boys and ghouls, and all the fiends in between. This is the Crypt Keepers. I'm Spooky Bruce. And I'm Horror Ryan. This is a show where we examine the HBO horror anthology series Tales from the Crypt. Each episode, we take a deep dive into one episode of the series and the comic that inspired it. Since this is our first episode, uh, we thought it would be good to talk a bit about the history of the EC Comics and the HBO television series. But before we do that, you think we should do introductions? Yes. ourselves? Yes, I think so. Uh, I'll go first. My name is Ryan, Horror Ryan, and I'm 36. I live in Louisville, Kentucky with my girlfriend, and we are horror movie and TV fanatics. Um, Ever since the uh, pandemic happened, everyone's been kind of shut in, and... We've kind of we've been together for two years, and me and Natalie, we've been sharing our love for horror, but it's different eras of horror. So I'm like Universal Monsters, Hammer Horror, kind of more the classic stuff, and she's just like shit melting, <laughs> and, and and it's really funny because like she, I'll be like, yeah, let's watch this Christopher Lee Dracula. It's amazing with the theatrics, and she's like, I'll show you street trash. Right, and it, it's it's been a pretty amazing. Well, one of the things that we've been diving into together is watching Tales from the Crypt. Um, and just for me personally, I know I knew a little bit about it, mm-hmm. and I watched two or three episodes mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, but my love for Tales from the Crypt was Demon Knight. Okay. Just yeah. top five horror movies all time for me. Uh, Natalie, she remembers watching them, the episodes, and she loved it. And so I got us the box set. And when talking to my really good friend Bruce, we were like, hey, I am a huge comic book nerd, mainly Marvel Comics. He's huge into DC. We love comics. We love horror. Let's try to do a project like this. And so, so far, it's been really fun to watch the episodes and read the comics that they're based on, see the differences. And right that right now, that's where I am on my Tales from the Crypt journey. And it's been pretty amazing. But what about you? Yeah, so uh, it was kind of serendipitous because I think around the time you got the box set and started diving into it, I had started doing a reread of the comics. And it was kind of just like... Oh wait, let's let's merge these two things together and see what the differences are between the TV show and the bones of the comic that inspired it. Right. Um, yeah, I was ugh, fifth grade, sixth grade when it came out. The show, mm-hmm. I'm aging myself there, uh, and it was one of those things where we were aware of it. Me and my brothers, my brothers are similar ages to me, like you know, three and six years younger, where we knew about it, and we happened to catch a. There was a behind-the-scenes show on HBO that showed you how they did the special effects, whatever. So, mm-hmm. in a way, it kind of... We were scared to watch it, but then it it demystified it for us. Right. Right. Um, so, like, oh, yeah, this is cool. We can watch because we know, how to do, we know how they do the special effects. So, it doesn't. it's not as scary. It's not as gross anymore to us. And our parents are like, there is no way in hell you're watching this show. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's one of those things, too, where by forbidding us from watching it, it just... It just increased the allure. Did it make like us. it just it made it this obtainable like oh now that I can't watch it I have Absolutely. to watch it. Absolutely, and that's right. like I don't know if I have some like some sort of opposition defiance disorder, you know, <laughs> uh, where I have like once you tell me I can't have something, it's like that's the only thing I want. That's in the, the world. only thing you want to do, right? right. Um, it, and so, but it was on the time where we either should be in bed or going to bed because we were you know not. We were young children at the time. We are close to being young children. And so I was only able to sneak episodes here and there. And it wasn't really until 
Oh, God, I think I was a senior or a freshman in college went off the air, and that's when the, around the time that Demon Knight came out. Mm-hmm. And that was, it wasn't my introduction, but it was what, it was sort of the gateway that I can, I'm finally, old, I realized, hey, I'm finally old enough to watch this show yeah. on my own. Uh, and then I would catch it every so often. You know, um, I, at one point I had, I had a DVDs and they were stolen from my home. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a break in on my birthday and oh everything my was God. stolen. Um, that is so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, uh, and then, you know, I've, I've seen them all at, you know, at, through the years I have seen them all, but going through them again, like we are, it's, it's, it's like, I'm surprised of how much I have forgotten. Right. Right. Over the past. Well, I mean, the show came on, 30 years ago now. Right. So, and, and really, um, uh, and then, you know, I had over the years had found in various places, the comics to read. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of comics from that era, uh, particularly the, the horror comics from that era. Like you said, I'm, you're a Marvel fan. I'm a, I'm a DC fan. And so I have like, you know, the collections of the DC horror comics from the era, like house of mystery. Right. Um, I think there's one called ghosts, just ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, they all had really shocking names. Really, like they yeah. had to pull people. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, you know, like I say, I'm a, I, I say I'm a, you know, a DC. You're a Marvel, but I'm, I'm just a fan of horror comics in general. Like I have the big collected editions of the Tomb of Dracula. Huge fan of Tomb of Dracula, and you know, we last summer we were playing Fortnite a right. lot, and when they brought Blade in, even though I'm not, I'm telling you right now, Bruce lost his guy. I lost my. Fucking shit! When they brought Blade in. <laughs> I lost my I'm, mind when Daredevil yeah. was in it because two thirty-year-old guys being like, "What's this Fortnite about?" And then we play it, and then they put our favorite characters. Oh, in oh, you are being very generous, sir. I, I was forty-two when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and, and my favorite superhero is Superman. But I was more excited when they put Blade in, and then than I did when they put Superman in recently. Right. I am a diehard Daredevil fan and Marvel fan, and um. Well, actually, one thing that kind of ties into Tales from the Crypt is the fact that, well, I love history and uh, I love comics. So when you brought up the idea for this project, I was like, I get to research comics and the history, history of comics. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And then I texted him like later that night. I was like, I have nine pages of notes. <laughs> so nine. Yeah, I was. Oh, I just. I was floored. He dove head first. Head first. It is awesome. And good thing, I will say one of uh, probably the biggest um, helps for uh, all my research was the DVD uh, collected edition of the entire series because every season has some sort of documentary on it, Mm -hmm. whether it's the history. And I think that's on season one. Season two has more of the effects, behind-the-scenes effects mm-hmm. stuff like you were mentioning. Maybe that was the specials that they actually put on HBO back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I uh, think it probably was. Right, and so, like, um, I was able to get so much information just from, you know, doing the deep dive on my phone while watching this documentary, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend finding the DVDs of the episodes. And I did want to bring up something. I was watching an episode last night. Okay. So, just for me, me and Natalie are watching... Each episode in order, just for fun. You know, with this project, I'm not going to write any notes when I'm watching it with her. But when I'm going to do research, I, you know, I'm going to watch the episode that, that in question mm-hmm. by myself with my notepad. And I brought up something in my head where is this the one time in horror history where it was a cultural phenomenon in, in terms of like 
there's so many huge names in the acting field in this show that I don't think has ever happened. There's an episode with the Crypt Keeper and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, right. Like, how? At some point, Tom Hanks directed an episode, right? Like, how is this possible? And if you look at, like, the first episode, you have William Sadler. Who would? Who was the star of the first episode? Um, he was in another uh, episode. Demon we'll Knight. Talk, well, yes, he was in Demon Knight. He was mm-hmm. Breaker in Demon Knight. Um, his uh, credit, Redemption. His credits are amazing. Yep. Amazing. You have a, just a ton of people who were, and it has a lot of people that you would that weren't recognizable names at the time. They became recognizable names later on. Right. Uh, but then they get you know, like I said, people like Tom Hanks. And mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger to do it. I, I, there wasn't a show like that that could pull in people like that on TV at the time. I right. Think, I guess I mean, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Is... Uh, I, there were shows later on that could, that could bring in big stars. Like, I think, you know, I didn't watch Friends, but I was aware of Friends doing it. And then later on, Scrubs is doing something like that. This is before the golden age of TV where everyone wanted to do a, a prestige TV right. series. This, it may have been the start. Or around that, like the the prestige TV series, and of course, it didn't hurt that HBO had money that the other networks. Oh, they pumped money into the show, right? That absolutely. That yeah, yeah. So HBO had money that they that the other networks, maybe TV shows, did not have to bring in those big stars. Right. Um, it certainly is, in my opinion, now that I well, basically, I'm two seasons in, Mm -hmm. and Demon Knight and all this stuff, right? And I, I think that this has kind of an underrated value in the horror community because if you look at the amount of stories, mm-hmm. the production qualities, the amount of uh, big name actors or mm-hmm. soon to be big name actors. And after I did the research of the history of Tales from the Crypt, the story of Tales from the Crypt is the best story of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Yeah. Like to me, because yeah. I'm this big history and comic uh-huh. nerd. Yeah, so. Right. The journey that went from the comics to the screen mm-hmm. is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And how they pulled it off and the the double turns and the backstabbing <laughs> and the um the incredible intrigue of the entire story right. ultimately those, culminating into this show. Those social and political pressures. Right. And you know, I'm a I'm a, like I like to say I'm a sociologist in training, so those things fascinate me, and I I will try to keep that in check. <laughs> well, the thing is, I have kind of the history side, mm-hmm. you have the sociology side, right. so and I think one thing that isn't pretty incredible about the show and the comics is there is a history of the comics and the stories mm-hmm. and the writers and mm-hmm. artists, but there's also they did the comics and the show never shied away from social commentary. Right, exactly. exactly. And which is kind of one of the pillars of horror. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's just something where just people die and there's no lessons or commentary, then mm-hmm. it's typically a boring horror experience, right. really. Right. People freak out when you say this, but all art is po- political in some way, even when it's trying not to be political or some sort of commentary. Right, some sort of uh some sort of social commentary. So even I think it's very difficult to not have that social commentary uh, in there. But yeah, Tales from the Crypt and comics of the era and the TV show too really leaned into that. Right. I mean, even like we go back to the beginning of the, well, not the beginning of comics, but the beginning of like, let's say superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. Superman was a, 
the social justice warrior for you know lack of a better term you know the champion of the oppressed he was his his first enemies weren't mad scientists and world conquering aliens they were corrupt politicians right. and uh, spousal abusers and uh, I think at one point a used car dealership <laughs> <laughs> the worst of them all the worst of them all did he ever fight a lawyer I am sure he fought there, there was. Um, <laughs> Uh, in a way, yes. I think there was one issue where, in the very, the very early issue, it may have been the first actually, where uh, he found out there was someone who is going to be executed for a crime they didn't commit, mm-hmm. and he just basically kicked down the door of the governor's mansion and said, "Hey, oh shit, <laughs> exonerate this guy." Right. Right. Wow. Well, <laughs> you but, want to go into the history now that we've you know touched yeah, on the, now, yeah, you, let's go into the history. Now that you've heard the last five minutes, you'll right. know me and Bruce's relationship. <laughs> We will just keep going, and we had to find a way to siphon this into channel something. this energy somehow. Right, right. So, uh, are we ready to go yeah, into the history yeah, yes, of Tales so, from yes. the Crypt? Okay, so we're going to start at the very beginning. There was a gentleman named Maxwell Gaines, and in the '40s, he specialized in education and children's stories. I think his most popular comic at the time was. Bible stories, right? Which is great. We'll start a Bible stories it, it, podcast. So, like, if you don't understand what comics were, comics now are just completely dominated by the superhero genre, right? But back in the day, the forties and fifties, there there was every sort of genre imaginable. There was you know cowboy stories, romance stories, detective stories, teen, crime stories, teen drama, teen dramas. And so, basically, Maxwell Gaines basically made a fortune from his comics called all-star comics bruce will know more about this uh, because that was the comics that featured green lantern and wonder woman Mm -hmm. now all-star comics later merged with national comics to make dc dc comics well he sold his shares from all-star comics and one became very wealthy Mm -hmm. and two created ec comics if you hear my pages turning, it's my notes, my nine pages of notes. And so when he got out of the superhero game, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. with the All-Star comics, he used some of his fortune that he made to make EC, which was educational comics. Now, he had a son named William Gaines. We'll call him Will. And he was born in 1922. And so there was... I guess the best way to say it is there was a rift between them from the very beginning. From the, the, the father and the son. Yes. Okay. So Max is the father. Will is the son. Okay. And so there was actually accounts of family members hearing that Max would say to Will, you'll never amount to anything. All right. That's, so that's he, nice. Thanks, Dad. Well, thanks, Pops. Right. <laughs> so with, with Max in the comic industry, and he was starting educational comics, mm-hmm. and he was doing Bible stories and all the stuff that kids love. Right. So, uh, so wait, 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 wait. So real quick, he called. Did he call it EC Comics or is it just EC? It was. It was called EC, which is educational comics. Educational okay. comics, right? Everyone he, calls he it EC like, Comics for sure. He wasn't like you know the DC Comics, which is just Detective Comics, comics. right? Right, right. <laughs> and so um, he's working on that, and at the time when we'll call him like a Will or Bill, his mm-hmm. son Bill. Because uh, I think later in life he actually preferred the name Bill. Um, he grew up, became a young adult, and obviously hated the comic industry because right. his dad was completely obsessed with it mm-hmm. and said, you'll never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. So he went to the Army Air Corps. He just was like, I'm out. Deuces. Was this a World War II? 
Uh, no, I don't think he was okay. actually in war okay. at all. Um, I could be wrong. Um, and so he also went to NYU for teaching. Right. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know if he got some of the money from his dad, but whatever. But that's where he was at the time. Well, when he when his dad started EC, the the sales were trash. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it was bad. But he was giving with the kids what they want. You know, their Bible stories. Well, of course. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, Max died in 1947 in a boating accident. Unfortunately? Unfortunately. Well, we never want to say anything (laughs) negative about the dead, but unfortunately, he did pass away from a boating accident in 1947. Mm -hmm. Now, Bill was in NYU at the time, and his mother asked him to take over for the comics because at the time, EC was really in debt. Mm -hmm. Basically, the money that he put, the money that his father put into the comics was gone, and they were already in debt. Now, imagine you being a son, your father isn't the biggest fan of you, he unexpectedly dies, and your mom's like, start doing what your father did. Right. It was not good. Well, So he, either, in that case, you're either going to like just run the company into the ground further, further than it already is in the ground, try to bury it, or you're going to do the best job possible absolutely, to show that son of a bitch he's for wrong. Sure. Well, one of the first things that he did was that he actually changed the name. From educational comics to entertaining entertaining comics. That sounds like a big F you to his dad, right? That could <laughs> be. sales are trash. Be. <laughs> Guess what? Dad, you made educational comics. I'm going to make entertaining right. comics. Right. I'm going to be entertaining. Right. So I think that Bill really had this idea where he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I'm going to do what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, no Bible stories. <laughs> <laughs> and so Bill took over in 1947. And around 1948, he created a partnership with Al Fieldstein, mm-hmm. who was a writer and artist. And they both did kind of romance and crime stories because mm-hmm. they kind of went away from the educational. When they started entertaining comics, they were doing crime. They were doing this romance. Is, this is the post. Oh, sorry. Hit my microphone there. Uh, this is the post World War II period, right? Right, right. Nineteen forty-seven, forty-eight. I think when I the the amount of reading I did on it, uh, once that soldiers started coming back from the war, they had a lot of comics had been shipped shipped over there for soldiers to read, and they kind of they had outgrown the superhero genre at the time, so they were looking more for like detective and crime stories right, right. Oh. so things got a little edgier yeah basically i mean when we say edgy we mean 1948 edgy right not today edgy <laughs> <laughs> things have changed but they were doing romance and crime stuff and when they were hanging out bill and al they would talk about how much they loved the old radio shows mm-hmm. particularly the horror radio shows mm-hmm. and two of their favorites was lights out and witch's tale i don't know if you have ever listened to Lights Out, I have not. It is quality horror. It it it, 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 it was made. In it stands the, up. It stand it stands up to this day. Um, there is one called the thing on the football board. Mm-hmm. It is one of the creepiest things you will and and actually kind of grossest things you'll ever hear in your oh, life. Wow. Um I will send you a link to it. It's one of my it's one of my favorite horror stories of right. you know movies, TV shows, short stories, anything. It's one of my favorites of all time. Okay, I'm going to have to get into that. Yeah. So Lights Out and, and the other one, I think the one that maybe made the biggest impression mm-hmm. as far as what they would eventually do mm-hmm. was called Witch's Tale. 
And so they talked about their love for these horror mm-hmm. uh, radio shows. And Bill said, I'll let you write some horror stories in our comics. We won't give you a comic, but we'll let you mm-hmm. maybe add a little bit of a short story mm-hmm. at the end. And so in the crime comics, he created two stories called The Crypt of Terror and The Vault of Horror. Mm-hmm. And so when they started to implement those horror stories in those comics, sales improved immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it became a big deal. And at that point, Bill saw the writing on the wall and he was like, okay, romance, teen. Well, first off, Bible stories. This should be Bible stories, the podcast. This should be great. <laughs> Bible stories didn't work. Father died. And then romance and crime was okay, but it wasn't really, you know, anything special. But when they went to horror, it was an overnight success. Right. And so at that point, Bill said, we are scrapping all comics and EC is working on horror exclusively. Oh, wow. Okay. Which so is a big deal. I mean, right. that's huge. So this was, this was the first, um, I, I Correct me if I'm wrong here. That was it was it was a comic called Crime Stories where that first Crypt of Terror story appeared, right? right. And I was like, that was the, that was the first appearance of the Crypt Keeper as well because he had, I think he introduced the story, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't become Tales from the Crypt until a few months later, right? Well, at the time when they first switched everything, they the early stuff was basically regurgitations of tropes, werewolves, vampires, mm-hmm. zombies, stuff like that, and so the big one of the biggest things that that stuck was the fact that the stories had a twist mostly Mm -hmm. and the first thing they had a twist the second thing is that every villain got their just desserts usually right i I think one of the biggest takeaways from the radio shows Mm -hmm. they both loved as children was the idea of a host because the witch's tale radio show had a host called the old witch and it was used mainly for comedic effect and Mm -hmm. this is where I, I would probably say this is the first time in history it was popularized to blend humor and horror mm-hmm. where they would have these horrific tales, but kind of interline them with humor right. and like just com- comedic effects. I've heard the witch's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be really, like, you know, obviously from my love for lights out I used to be really into old time horror radio mm-hmm. and the witch's tale. I think the setup was that she was in a cave and it was her and her cat, Lucifer, Ooh. introducing all the stories. And she had this high-pitched cackling, stereotypical cackling witch's voice that was barely understandable. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that happened is almost overnight when they introduced the horror host mm-hmm. and they did the humor and horror mm-hmm. kind of blending together is they immediately outsold every comic except for Superman. Wow. Almost overnight. Wow. And that's pretty incredible. And essentially, at that time, we're talking 49, 48. Mm-hmm. So imagine, Bill, for in 47, father dies. You take over the business. You have debt. You do all this, switch genres, you know, make a partnership with Al Feldstein. Mm-hmm. And in 1949, two years later, you're at a profit. Right. That's and incredible. And you're competing with Superman, the most right. popular character in the world at the time. Right. And, and, right, you know, right next to Mickey Mouse. Right. And so it's kind of hard now in 2021 to imagine that growth so fast mm-hmm. in an era where it was before the internet. It was mm-hmm. basically just kids and teenagers 
going to pharmacies or newsstands and just picking up a comic. Right. But I think that was really one of the first instances of just like overnight success. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. Um, at the time when Bill was starting to get all the success and they were turning a profit, he started other comics to kind of go away from horror and they were called weird science and weird fantasy. Okay. So he had a kind of a broad, like we're going to do horror, we're going to do sci-fi, we're Mm going to introduce humor into all of these. And so Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein shared the title of editor and they worked on all horror and sci-fi books. And there was one thing that I think is pretty incredible as well is their motto was one story a day. Hmm. And one comic book, mm-hmm. one comic of Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, there was four stories per comic. So you imagine that they had um, Weird Science, Weird Fantasy, they had Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Tales from the Crypt. They had to write one story for e- uh, to fill those a books day. a day. The, the output of the writers of that time period uh, in comics and the pulps is just extraordinary the work rate is and, unprecedented yeah and the work rate there was uh one pulp writer i can't remember his name now but he had a he made a special contraption so he could type stories while he was taking a bath oh that's awesome. right and i mean they were thousands of words a day i think the, really the only writer who compares today with their output might be like chuck tingle right <laughs> right it's really unprecedented and and i think a lot of the unsung heroes of the comic industry, not only for horror, but for superhero books, especially like in the 50s and 60s, right. th- they don't know how hard they worked. Right. Well, like so, uh, there's um, Gardner Fox, who I will talk a lot about later on. Nice. Uh, he did at the time, I think went, during his comic book period, he did like 4,000 scripts. Oh, my God. And there's 1,500 of them just for DC. Now, we're talking about work rate. Yeah. So there is kind of a funny side story okay. to this. Okay. Due to the need for so many stories, Bill started to use ideas from a best-selling short story author, Ray Bradbury. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, they used 26 short stories for, you know, the little mini stories Mm -hmm. that are in the books, Mm -hmm. right? Well, in the documentary that I watched, there's a pretty interesting story where they didn't ask him. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't ask uh, Ray that they could use his short stories mm. for their comics. And Ray actually read one of his stories oh, no. in the comics. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I saw an interview with uh, Al Feldstein and he said, well, I'm paraphrasing, but well, we got a letter from Ray saying, you took my story. Mm-hmm. I, I demand compensation. And he said that Bill wrote back and says, Oh, we have the check for you. We don't know where to send it. What's your address? Nice. And so that actually started a partnership where Ray would sell his stories to EC. (laughs) And he became a big contributor to the stories. I mean, he already wrote them, so he was just giving the A-OK. Right. Because they were already published uh, short stories. But I think that's a really... um, That's really ballsy. Is it... I don't... Is it slimy or ballsy? It's... It's... Slimy ballsy? Slimy balls? (laughs) Slimy balls. There's one thing to take away from this. It it never hurts to have slimy balls. Maybe... Maybe they just knew what power they had at the time. You know, because Ray Bradbury may not have been Ray Bradbury yet. Right. Right. I mean, like, at the time was a short story author as big as technically the biggest or second biggest comic publisher at the time. Right. 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 
Um, also at the time in the um, like forty nine fifty, they started to bring in more artists. Obviously, they had the mm-hmm. workload, right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I want to give Bill Gaines credit, you uh, you will notice, I will gush about Bill Gaines. Mm-hmm. This entire podcast, because through all my research and my love for comics in general, he revolutionized a lot of things for the comic book industry, right. not just horror, but for all comics. He allowed the artist to sign their artwork on the panels and, and covers. Wow. Which, at the time, artists were nobodies. Mm-hmm. You would you would not be able to know. They never marketed artists. Mm-hmm. And so he also gave his writers and artists creative freedom. He would also put biographies of the artists and writers in the pages of the comic. Wow. This is 1950. This did not happen. It doesn't happen now, really. Right. There is definitely more. And I think that's one of the things that with modern comic and, and I guess, like nerd culture Mm -hmm. with the internet and Comic-Cons and stuff like that, you kind of have this, like reaction to like oh uh this comic's coming out oh this guy's my favorite artist mm-hmm. oh i gotta I gotta read it and stuff mm-hmm. that never happened back then it was just like this is on the shelf right that's all and you got it, and it's only been within like what last 20 years 25 years that made that years yeah maybe. i mean that artists have gotten as big of the names as writers right. which they absolutely should jack kirby yeah we're here for you we, bud yeah. we're here we love you which that was that was a a a key moment in the Justice, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, where his name was prominently displayed at the end, the fourth world created by Jack Kirby, right, right, where it's he really a big victory. gets the recognition he deserves. They're like in in such a um, a prominent way, right, right. It, that uh, artists are celebrated yeah. now. now I, story, I, I, story you developers. haven't seen you haven't seen um, Suicide Squad yet. I've not, but at the end there is just a giant list of these characters created by this character created by this mm. character created by. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, we're talking about like, oh, in the last 10 or 15 years, look at these artists getting recognition. Mm-hmm. He did it in 1950. So that's a big deal uh, with the biographies and creative freedom. And we're not going to go over all of them, but mm-hmm. I, there's a couple that I do want to stand out because when you start looking at the art of horror comics, first off, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, but every artist had their own style. Mm-hmm. And once you see enough of the art, you're like, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um one of them is Graham Ingalls, and his nickname was Ghastly. And he was known for, like, the melt, like, <laughs> art, where, like, so, zombies have flesh sticking right, out. So, uh, Natalie would be a big fan. Yes. Right. Actually, I did. I showed her <laughs> some of the art. She's like, I love this, and I love this. This one's okay, but I really like this. It was all Graham Ingalls. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Another one is Jack Davis, who at the time was the most popular, and he was known for more the physical horror and also the lighthearted humor. Um, and the thing is, Bill... And Al Feldstein gave freedom, and their biggest takeaway that I got from their biggest contribution, I think, mm-hmm. to the, I guess, like the work pit that mm-hmm. they had while the artists and writers is they gave people the freedom to go where they wanted to go. If somebody wanted to be on a more humorous comic, mm-hmm. they would switch them over to there. If they wanted to do more horror and like melts and like mm-hmm. zombie stuff, they would move them there. They didn't go, here's the book, get it done by this time. How much of that, you might not have any way of knowing this, um, but how much of that was due to their philosophy of how artists and creators should be treated? And how much of it was, we are competing with the nascent, what, what, what would become DC, right. what would become Marvel? 
and they we like this is a way to bring in writers. Right. And I mean really at the time this is before the 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 silver age of comics. Okay. This is what Marvel got popular in the early 60s. Right. I mean, there was in the early 60s there was this reboom of superhero comics, right. right? That's when you get the X-Men. That's when you get the Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. That's when you get Spider-Man. That's when you get um the revivals of the Flash and the Green Lantern in DC. And so Basically, at that point, for the next couple of years, EC is just trucking. Mm-hmm. They're just pumping out a ridiculous amount of short stories through all these books. In 1952, he Bill decided that he would do what's called shock stories, and they nicknamed him Preachies. Okay. <laughs> Here's Bruce's social wait, commentary that wait, we're wait, adding. No, no, no. no I, I, this is not social commentary, but it's funny we get back around. We right. started Bible stories. Now you get to preachy stories. That is it. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Bible stories, but with zombies. Okay. And werewolves, basically. Or not, not Bible stories, but um, moral stories. Right, yeah. right, right. And so Bill really liked the what they call preachies, which basically moral stories. I have an example. Um, there is a short story called Hate, in which a man, along with some other neighbors, kill a Jewish family mm-hmm. accidentally by setting their house on fire. He's an anti-Semite, and throughout the story, he discovers that he's adopted and his parents are Jewish. Oh, no. Right? Oh, there's the, you know, the twist, you know. And so, and then all his friends abandon him because they found out that he, that he, uh, Jewish ancestry. It was more like, is the more real stories scarier than the fantasy right. horror right. And stories? This is, and this is something that would have... It would have been something near and dear to the early creators because they were mostly Jewish. Right. Right. And so basically you have this blend of like the horror and humor, but then he's starting to slowly get into like the morality. Mm-hmm. You know, he he pulls you in with mm-hmm. the gore and the all that and the humor. Now he's going to teach you some things. And so around the same time in 1952, he created Mad Comic. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's very important. Mad comic in 1952 mm-hmm. with a gentleman named Harvey Kurtzman. Okay. And so that was a comic book that they did. Where it was just humor. It was satire. There was almost no. I don't think there was any horror at all. And it was mm-hmm. just social commentary and humor. And by 1953, one fourth of all comics sold were horror comics. Wow. So like they already got this train rolling. Right. You know, with right. the horror thing. And other publishers made their stories more gory. Mm-hmm. So they were seeing what EC was doing. They're like, we got to pump up the jams. Mm-hmm. The thing is, at the time in the early 50s, EC's riding this high train, and then other companies are copying what they're doing, mm-hmm. but they're going more gore. Mm-hmm. So EC was like, well, we got to do it too. So they started matching them on the gore level. And there's one story that I would like to talk about. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. I showed this to Bruce, and we were both like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it's called Foul Play. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I, 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 there's no episode of Tales from the Crack there about this. There's absolutely oh, there yes. We should do it. We should do the audio play of it. Well, No, actually, I, there is a podcast out there right. um, that does audio plays based on old EC comics. Hell, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this story is called Foul Play, and it was in The Haunt of Fear, issue number 19, in June 1953. It's the story of a baseball team that are about to play their rival team. Mm-hmm. One of the rival players kills one of their players. 
And so, and, oh, by the way, he does it with a poison cleat. <laughs> Just, it's amazing. I love, I love the the old these old comics that have the, these really outlandish. Oh yeah, murder. it's amazing. So they're playing the game. One, the rival player kills one of their players with a poison cleat. The the team inspects, beat him up, steal his shoe, looks at the cleat and go, "Oh, it's poison." It's clearly the guy who does it because you can see. Right, poison. of course right. you can, and they decide <laughs> to take justice into their own hands. By dismembering the rival player and playing a pickup game of baseball with his body. As I you wanna, do. I want to repeat that. They played baseball with this dude's corpse. Uh, the head was the baseball. The intestines were the connecting lines between bases. The heart was home plate. And my personal favorite, the torso was the catcher's chest plate. What the fuck? <laughs> it's like, um, you've seen from Dust Till Dawn, right? Oh, oh you know, yeah. When, when the band starts playing, <laughs> yeah. and they're, they're playing with, uh, they suddenly have musical instruments that are made from human body parts. Right. Yeah. And, and this was, dude, 1953. <laughs> right. What the fuck? Well, the thing is, as amazing as that story sounds, they got noticed for right. it. Right. This was I don't I don't want to say this was the one, but it was probably the one. <laughs> <laughs> Enter Worthram Frederick. Right. Did I say that right? I I don't know. It's it that's that's a man whose name sounds backwards no matter how you say it. <laughs> and I believe it's Worthram Frederick. He's a New York psychiatrist for teens. And so We'll give you a little backstory on this guy. Oh, it's it's Frederick Wortham. Why is it on my notes as Wortham <laughs> Frederick? Son of a bitch. I am sorry. We'll cut that out. So, enter Frederick Wortham. And he is a New York psychiatrist for teens. In 1948, he started attacking comics via newspaper editorials. He called comics pollution from which children had to be protected. Now, basically, in the late '40s, early '50s, he's been on this tear mm-hmm. to get rid of comics. There was there was a moral panic since the beginning of comics about right. comic books. In fact, anytime there's a new form of media that children like, yeah. there is some sort of associated moral panic with it. We see it with the com- comic books, right? right? Uh, we saw it with rock and roll music, internet, internet, video games, right. everything. You know, anything that kids like. Parents will freak out about it at some point. Right. Then this guy was just riding the train. <laughs> he was just there early. And he was talking about comics in 1948. Mm-hmm. This is before they got huge, huge. But in 1954, about a year after the story Foul Play, <laughs> he wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent. And basically, he just goes on a tear through comics. Um,. Some of the excerpts are, he called Batman a Robin Gay. Mm-hmm. And he said Wonder Woman was a lesbian. He said that horror comics were a direct cause of juvenile delinquency. Mm-hmm. That book became a bestseller, 1954. PTA and church groups started uh, to boycott comic books, and towns participated in comic book burnings. burnings. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Germany in the no, 40s. No, hey, hey, and, you know, I, I don't mean to stereotype, mm-hmm. but uh, 
Werthram was from Germany, and he is the most Nazi-looking guy. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Didn't <laughs> no, know oh, yeah. I'll, I I'll show Germany. you a picture of him. Wow. Um, I mean, this, this guy looks like he should be fighting Indiana Jones for the Ark of the Covenant. Oh my! Oh wow! He really actually does look like the scientist or the the guy with the thick glasses. The thick glasses who gets his hand burned. Let's see. Let's see. You got 1954 Seduction of the Innocent. He's bashing comic books, church groups, PTA groups. They they they're sucking this down like mm-hmm. like candy. It's great. Right. So they didn't have rock and roll yet. To be right. Right. They didn't have anything else to freak right. out about. So the U.S. Senate created a subcommittee to look into comics. Led by Tennessee Senator Estes Kefauver. <laughs> that cannot be that guy's name. Kef- <laughs> I'm telling it's my notes. Estes Kefauver. Estes Kefauver. K E F A U V E R. And he was a, a, a Tennessee senator. Yes, he was a senator from Tennessee. And he started, he was the one presiding over the subcommittee in 1954, April 21st. 1954 in New York City, and guess who was a witness? Who was a witness? Frederick Wertham. Wow! Whoa. Oh my God! His <laughs> name is—I I can't even pronounce that. <laughs> is it? It's Estes Kefauver. I, I sure. I, I you could tell me it's, it's pronounced anything, and I'd believe you. Estes Kefauver Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> that son of a bitch from Tennessee. Um. And so Frederick Wortham was a star witness, because obviously, and he said they their juvenile delinquency was due to them reading these comics. Mm-hmm. And not for any of the number of social issues plaguing the country at the time. Right. So everything was perfect until these comics came along. Exactly. Right. right. Uh, well, here's the thing for me. I have this feeling, when I, the more I read about Bill Gaines, the more research I do, the more... I like him, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's one of those things where you're trying too hard to be nice. Right. Where, like, he did amazing things in the sense of, you know, giving artists and writers complete freedom. Giving mm-hmm. them, uh, spending money to market them mm-hmm. as attractions to read the comics. It never happened before. Giving people proper credit for their stories. The thing is... At the subcommittee, he was the only representative, basically, of horror comics to participate. Mm-hmm. And I can see where he's coming from when he accepted. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, in 2021, I'm looking at him and I'm like, it's a trap. Right. You know it's a trap. Right. Their star witness is a guy who wrote Seduction of the Innocent. Right. And so... It, it, all of these are just a way for the politicians on the the panel or the, the committee to uh, grandstand, get their sound bites in, or newspaper quotes at the time. Right. Uh, that they're not really interested in what they have get, to say. What they have to say. Yeah. Right. And so Gaines accepted the invitation mm-hmm. to, I guess, go one on one with Frederick Wortham mm-hmm. at this subcommittee. Once again, led by SSQ fucker. <laughs> That's his new name, Estes Keyfucker. Estes, Estes Keyfucker. Ooh, we so, are mature. We're so, so mature. mature. <laughs> so, Bill Gaines testified that a comic couldn't be in bad taste because it's basically the interpretation of the reader. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the thing is, at the exact same time, uh-huh. the actual same month that he 
was discussing this and testifying. Mm-hmm. April 1954, Crime Super Stories number 22 came out. Okay. That's, or I'm sorry, Crime Suspense Stories number right. 22 this came is, out. This is not suspense stories. It's suspense stories, like one word. It's one word. Together. Yeah, that's why I got messed up. Yeah. So it, the same month that he's testifying, saying that a comic couldn't be in bad taste, mm-hmm. Crime Suspense Stories number 22 was on the shelves. Okay. That is a very famous comic right. book cover. Tell us, because, about, tell, tell us about this. Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> it depicts a decapitated woman on the cover. Oh, no. With a man uh, holding her severed head okay. with an axe All right. next to it. Basically, when he said that a comic couldn't be in bad taste, obviously the subcommittee said, what about this? <laughs> and, oh, man, like, I feel so bad. Like... Because he had to be like, yep, that that's my fault. And I just walked right now. Yeah, okay. I how much of that is his fault? How much of it is their fault for being for setting him up? Right. Well, I know they're just they're they're ninnies, right? Right. They're moralizers who think the job of government is to protect the moral character of the country. Right. Right. And basically, it was a setup. Mm-hmm. I mean, once he said. They they basically got him to say that a comic couldn't be in bad taste and then showed him a severed head on a comic right. cover. So right. it basically was a setup. So here's the thing. Okay. At that time, people were being told comics are bad for you. Mm-hmm. Horror comics are bad for mm-hmm. you. Now, they had someone to hate. Right. That he was now the figurehead of the quote-unquote evil comic mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first time that this invisible threat that the seduction of the innocent talked about had a face. Mm-hmm. And so basically overnight, wholesalers refused the business of EC <laughs> immediately. Here's the thing. Trying to be the nice guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to say he's perfect, but right. from what I keep reading, I'm like, he tried. Like he right. for for being able to have the freedom to have your artistic expression. Mm hmm. He tried to do the best he could to appease everybody right. and still have freedom. Mm-hmm. But in 1953, that just wasn't happening. So at the time when wholesalers refused their business, he suggested getting all the big publishers together to fight this mm-hmm. as one. And when he met with all the other publishers, the the consensus of the group was that, that they would, I guess get rid of horror as a genre mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. as a whole mm-hmm. like well th- this is what they're they're aiming at mm-hmm. with their daggers let's just get rid of horror right. and we'll be fine let's go back to cowboys and romance and bible stories <laughs> uh, you know and it's not a i'm not gonna call them cowards whatever uh but they saw the writing on the wall i think Right. And they saw the might of the U.S. government staring at them. Right. And they made a calculation to survive. Well, here's the thing. In the meeting, when they suggested getting your horror movies, Bill stormed out of the meeting. Oh, okay. So when he stormed out of the meeting, the meeting kept going. And so they, after he left, the remaining publishers created the basis for the Comic Code Authority. The CCA. And they immediately, one of their very first actions was to ban the following words in titles. Crime, terror, horror, and weird. Hmm. 
Hmm. All of those words are titles of EC Comics. So you have all these... Right. I mean, this is the big backstab, Mm -hmm. I think. This is the big twist where it's like comics are being under attack. Now, originally, Wertham, he attacked all comics. Mm -hmm. Horror, Batman and Robin are gay, you know, all this stuff. And that's just low-hanging fruit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But But the thing is, to me is, at least my opinion is, the government and these crazy people were attacking comic books as a whole. Mm-hmm. The main target, once they had a face, was Bill, and then he re- said, hey, let's get together and let's fight mm-hmm. this together. And essentially, is it fight or flight? Right. Where all the other publishers are like, why should we fight them? They're after you. Right. You're the one publisher right. that actually testified. It's not our problem now. Yeah, I can So, see yeah. fuck off, mm-hmm. basically, is what mm-hmm. I feel that they did. Right. And so... With the creation of the Comic Code Authority, um, they started to ban um, gore, excessive violence, almost any bloodshed, and they had a code of ethics that they wrote down saying, this is the stuff you cannot do. And if your book that you were publishing got approved by the authority, it would get a stamp, which is now a famous logo, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, at the time it was started, it was head headed by New York uh, uh, magistrate magistrate magistrate. Sorry, right. uh, Charles Murphy. Okay, and his nickname was the Comic Czar. Oh, so yeah. if that tells you anything <laughs> yeah. about this guy, so um, this always this led up to the fact that no one would buy their comics to sell. Mm-hmm. Wholesalers shut them down. They were losing money like almost immediately. The head of the company was a huge target on his head. Mm-hmm. And in 1954, September 14th, Bill discontinued horror and crime comics. It's a pretty sad day. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about it, Tales from the Crypt, the show was in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. The Crypt Keeper is, I would say, a, a minor level icon mm-hmm. in comics and horror. The comics only lasted five years. Right. Or wait, I'm sorry, four years. Four years. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, I think that he quit. He discontinued the stories, but I think they still published until 1955. Mm-hmm. So look at my notes real quick. Sorry for the paper noise. Yeah. Haunts of Fear was 1950 to 54. And then Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror was 1950, 1955. Okay. So think about that. We're talking about this in 2021. There's a huge seven season you know, TV, sto- uh, TV, TV series, series, there's yeah. movies yeah, and they only publish for five Four, years. Yeah. That's how much that, that, that's probably my, the most amazing thing about mm-hmm. it to me is the impact that they had with only five years. Right. That's pretty incredible. Another kink in the chain mm-hmm. of this amazing twist towards EC was, um, at the time over 12 publishers, went out of business immediately with the mm-hmm. creation of the comic code authority. Mm-hmm. Basically it went from like almost 15 to 20 to like three mm. overnight. Mm-hmm. And so Bill and Al Feldstein, they went, they did this partnership that lasted five years. They decided to go into a quote new direction mm-hmm. is what they marketed it as where they would have clean comics. Here's the thing though, ever defiant. Mm-hmm. They went clean, but they refused the comic code authority stamp. Okay. Yeah. To basically say, like, we'll do what you say, but we won't give you the pleasure mm-hmm. of stamping our comics. So mm-hmm. they were clean. They they would have passed CCA approval. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was the principle of the matter, right? And so part of me that like it's that like weird angsty punk in you that's mm-hmm. like fucking a. It's that it's like I said that oppositional defiance, this right? Order, right, absolutely. And so after they he canceled all the horror comics in '54. They started doing adventure comics, mainly piracy and Valor. Valor was a big seller, or not a big seller, but that was kind of like their big new book that they were coming out with, which is about knights. And I don't know. Generic fantasy. Exactly. Right. Who gives a shit? And so, <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't go from the Crypt Keeper and playing baseball with with someone's innards right, to, to my lady, I shall save you. <laughs> my sarcasm coming through. And thing is, though, another hook that got into him is the fact that newsstands would not sell comics without the stamp of the yeah. code. Mm-hmm. So they changed the comics. It didn't even matter. So reluctantly, they join the Comic Code Authority, mm-hmm. where they're like, "We literally, you've rigged the system to where we can't make a profit without your stamp, mm-hmm. your stupid little stamp." And so they joined, and they co- immediately. They butted heads. Like every every comic that they would send in, they would be like, "You need to edit this. You need to do this," and it would push deadlines, and it was just a huge hassle, a huge headache. And one, this is a quote from Bill when he uh, told uh, he told this to distributors who were saying, "Look, well, you got to do the code." He said, "This is what our forefathers came to this country to escape." Wow. I mean, fucking a. <laughs> <laughs> so this happened for about a year. Mm-hmm. And they're still butting heads again over the comics that they wouldn't approve. And um, there, there is one story. I'm trying to limit the amount of individual stories because right. we're going to go into it more into future episodes. But one that is very important because it is the last. It's a story called Judgment Day, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic. Let me just preface it this saying this. It was published three years earlier. Okay. It's an already published right. story. Mm-hmm. So EC sent a bunch of comics to get approved to the code. Mm-hmm. They got a call and they said, one of these stories will not work. We need a replacement. Okay. Well, Al Feldstein, he rummaged through some of his already published books mm-hmm. and pulled out the story judgment day, ran it over to the CCA office, dropped it off. And it was um, it was an old one of those old preachies. Remember, I, I spoke earlier in the episode about preachies, mm-hmm. where it was a moral of the story. Right. You know? Well, this was a preachy about an astronaut who visits a robot planet. The robots are split up between orange and blue robots, but the blue and orange robots were racist towards one another. The astronaut who never takes off his helmet mm-hmm. was there to see if that planet was ready to join the Galactic Empire. Mm-hmm. He determines that based on the prejudice that they were not ready to join the Empire, and at the very end of the issue, the the astronaut takes off his helmet and it reveals to be a black man. Here's the thing: well, number one, this son of this thing's already been published. Mm-hmm. Number two, Murphy, the head of the CCA, refused to approve that a black man is an astronaut in a comic. Wow. <laughs> You racist shit. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> right. So Al uh, got the news that it got rejected, and he mm-hmm. told Bill about the news. So Bill threatened a press conference if Charles Murphy would not approve the printing of the story. Mm-hmm. 
Al finally, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Charles Murphy finally relented, and the last thing that Bill said to him was, fuck you, and hung up. <laughs> Get fucked. That was the very last story in the very last comic that EC ever published. Wow. And that was Incredible Science Fiction number 33 in February 1955. What, what's interesting about that? I have, <clears throat> I was not familiar, but I heard that story, mm-hmm. the story of that comic. I heard that when I was a kid. I had no concept of Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics, Incredible Science Stories, whatever. But that, I heard that story. Mm-hmm. I remember it like hearing it like fifth grade, I think. I never, I never heard that before. Yeah. Never heard of that story. Well, if you remember mm-hmm. earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. we mentioned that along with the horror comics, at the same time, they created Mad Comic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty incredible because you're thinking of thinking about it like this: the story we've already laid out for you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, father dying, taking over the comics, becoming a huge success, the government saying nope. You turning to your other comic publishers, they're saying nope. Mm-hmm. And there was an ace in the hole. And I think this is, what was the slimy balls? <laughs> yeah, slimy balls. Slimy balls. Is it slimy or is it ballsy? We'll find out. <laughs> so at the time, they're getting out of the comic book game because they can't win. They're ostracized mm-hmm. from everybody else. He is the face of the evil comic industry. So they're getting out of the comics. Well, in the summer of 1955, Harvey Kurtzman, who was working on Mad, convinced Bill to change the color Mad comic, which was sold at 10 cents, to the black and white Mad magazine. There we go. For 25 cents. (laughs) And here's the kicker. You're not using color ink. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper to make. Mm -hmm. It's a magazine, and a magazine price at the time was more than a comic. So Mm -hmm. instead of 10 cents, it's now 25 cents. Mm -hmm. And magazines were not covered under the Comic Code Authority. That's huge. Therefore, they were able to do whatever they wanted Mm -hmm. because it was marketed as a magazine for young adults. And from there, Mad Magazine... Became, became this cultural institution. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird that we're talking about this whole story when Bill Gaines is more famous now for Mad Magazine. Right. If you think, of, I right. guess. I right. mean, it's, it, it, it might be his more famous creation. More with the like pop culture, mm-hmm. right? But for horror fans, he's he tells from the crypt. Mm-hmm. But so in 1956, Gaines fired Kurtzman over basically ownership over Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was under his EC, so Gaines said that he owned it. So, I mean, he did. <laughs> uh, so, I don't mean to be that guy, but... Uh. Yeah. Uh, so, and he replaced him with his good buddy, Al Feldstein. There. And so, basically, for 25 straight years, it became a huge phenomenon. And it was one of the best-selling magazines probably of all time. You can feel bad for Bill Gaines, but mm-hmm. he found a way. Is the he right. found a way, and that's pretty. That's it's a pretty amazing story if you really think about it. This is me saying after I've said all this. It's a really incredible story. The right. the ups and downs right. of this, and we're only scratching the surface. You right. know, this is right now the end of the story of the comics. Mm-hmm. And um, what are your thoughts on the life it's of a, Bill it's, Gaines? It's an amazing story. You know, 
it's one of those stories I love because, like I said, of that that uh, oppositional defiance disorder, like the, the sticking your finger to authority, and that's a lot of what right. horror is about. Right. Right. Is shining a light on these social issues we have that the authorities or the powers that be may not want us to recognize or see. Right. So yeah, that was that was really good. Thank you. We're at an hour now. Oh, we are. We are we, at an hour. I, I still have two and a half pages about <laughs> the introduction of the TV show. Oh my gosh! No, no. Let's. You know what? Let's do it. Let's go. Fuck it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so after the uh, late fifties, basically, Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, they basically just ran Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. That was their outlet uh, for. I think Alfred E. Newman is named after uh, Al Feldstein. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Where are you Alfred, Alfred E. Newman being the mascot of the janitor. I think he's a janitor. No, he's just the dude. He's the kid. I never got into Mad Magazine. Really? Really? Yeah. I was really into it. Mad TV, TV. yeah. Yeah. But. Let's see if we, if we want to go full circle here to, you know, Mad. I think Mad TV is where um, Key and Peele got their start. Jim Carrey, too. No, that was in Living Color. Oh, damn it. <laughs> and then, I know. was seven. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Jordan Peele goes on to be... Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, actually, I think there was some sort of... Uh, I remember reading in Mad Magazine at the time that Mad TV was on, mm-hmm. that there was like some sort of rivalry between the two. Like, the people making the magazine did not like I think the, the show, show won. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. But for a good 25 to 30 years, Mad Magazine was just killing it. And here's the interesting thing. More than likely, the Tales from the Crypt, that story's done. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was a publishing company named Cochrane Publishing started to reprint old EC books Mm -hmm. in the late 70s, early 80s. And it caught the attention of producers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joel Silver, who did uh, Lethal Weapon Mm -hmm. and Die Hard. Mm -hmm. And Joel Silver, he loved reading the EC comics as a kid. And I think in an interview he did, he was like, I just didn't know what happened. Like the next, I went to get my comics and they just weren't there anymore. Because, I mean, he's a kid in the 50s. He doesn't know the ongoing trials and tribulations mm-hmm. of what's going he just knows com- there's, horror no com- there's no more horror comics so but he remembers loving those comics as a kid so he got um a group of people joel silver david guler and walter hill okay uh they optioned the rights to tales from the crypt and what they were going to do was a film anthology okay do you know do you know who uh, walter was it sounds very familiar. Okay, Walter Hill. Um, he dr- actually directs the first episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, he's director of The Warriors. Oh, cool. Come 48 play. Hours. Uh, Streets of Fire. Brewster's Millions. So these are big names. These are big names. He, he, he did rewrites on the script for Aliens. No, Alien. Right. He did the story. He developed the story for Aliens. And he wrote the script for Alien 3. Wow. So, yeah. So, like... It's pretty interesting that the group of people that basically brought Tales from the Crypt back into prominence were fans of the comics. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing that you'll notice in a lot of pop culture is the fact that stuff will come back a couple of decades later. Mm-hmm. Once the generation that loved it get old enough to be able to make media mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So part of me is like, what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years right. with the people that, well, you know what? 
But, I mean, fans of the show Tales from the Crypt are making a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, and that's thirty some odd years right. later. So it's really incredible there, there the, like the this, spinning there, wheel. Yeah, there's this cycle of twenty to thirty years of things that were popular. 20 30 years ago becoming popular again or this nostalgia like right. in the 90s we had you know or in the 80s we had the nostalgia for the 1950s we see that in things like back to the future mm-hmm. uh we get to the 90s we have nostalgia for things in the 60s and 70s we get austin power right right who's a holdover from the 60s we get that 70s show right and now we're having nostalgia for the 80s right so we get things like stranger oh. things um a lot of like throwback horror movies that are you know, want to capture that 80s the remake style. of all these eighties horror movies? Yeah, and I was wondering just in a few years. I just know there's gonna be this really weird nineties. And no, actually, we're already in the nineties resurgence because yeah, it was like Friends reunion, the Friends and stuff reunion. Like that. We had a Fear Street nineteen ninety four. Here's the thing, I'm gonna throw up. When we have a 2000s revival, right, right. we're going to see Jinkos <laughs> and silver sunglasses. Well, it's like, it's, um, you know, if you, if you did Wonder Years now, right, right setting it back the same space and time. Would it be in the 90s? It would, no, it'd be like 2001. Oh my God. <laughs> we're so old. Uh, so <laughs> now that we're talking about how old we are, so these group. These big shots, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are big names in the film industry. Oh, there's one other name, too, that I saw in the credits. Richard oh, Richard Donner, Donner and Robert Zemeckis. Right. Yes, Richard Donner being the director of the very first Superman movie. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, basically, it's Joel Silver, David Guler, Walter Hill, Ro- Richard Donner, and Robert Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. Those guys uh, were trying to get a film anthology thing going on, and it never... It was basically on the cutting room floor forever. And so in the late 80s, they abandoned the movie idea and turned the idea into a TV series. And they pitched it to HBO, who was trying to find some new content mm-hmm. that they could basically hook people in. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't get this anywhere else. It's HBO. And so that was the birth of the television show, Tales from the Crypt. And the first, I guess, filmed episode mm-hmm. that they did, it was a pilot. Um, it was... And all through the house. Okay. It was a story of a um, killer Santa, mm-hmm. you know, going on a murderous rampage. Robert Zemeckis, who was working on the episode, he actually invited Bill Gaines on set. And this is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think about it, I mean, he's known for Mad Magazine. He, he's also known in the, in the smaller circles as the, the creator and the mind behind Tales from the Crypt from 50 to 55. Mm-hmm. Here in the late 80s, you know, these big shots were like, hey, come on set. We're doing, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing this. It's pretty incredible. And with the help of Bill Gaines, they did this first episode all throughout the, all through the house. And Zemecka said that they used this episode as a template for all of their episodes, mm-hmm. the pacing, the twists, you know, like where to place the twists, all that stuff. The one thing that is really interesting is they did tweak the Crypt Keeper and mm-hmm. which the Crypt Keeper in the comic books was just a human, basically. Mm-hmm. It's just a human that was just like, I take care of this crypt. I, I keep right. it. You know? But, <laughs> he had the long white stringy hair, kind mm-hmm. of like how long my hair is now. And it's just, uh, he, he looked, he he looked like you'd imagine the old witch from that old t- radio show. Right. What that, 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 whatever sound was coming out of her, that was the face <laughs> that matched it. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And so they chose a Crypt Keeper uh, because basically all three of the major horror comics had a host. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Tales from the Crypt had the Crypt Keeper. Haunt of Fear had the Old Witch, which they took from uh, the radio show. And the Vault of Horror, which was the Vault Keeper. And the Vault Keeper was actually the primary host of the three. But they strangely went with the Crypt Keeper. Because at the time in the comics, the Vault Keeper was the most popular. Mm-hmm. But they went with the Crypt Keeper mm-hmm. and they tweaked his look to maybe look like a zombie. Mm-hmm. But they still kept the idea that it's humor and it's horror. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that kind of stuck with the comics. And it also stuck with uh, the TV show. Mm-hmm. So they chose the Crypt Keeper. And basically from the very first episode, it was all hands on deck. It was full steam ahead. Uh, uh, all regards said that Bill loved the show. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of keep up with what was going on and have some have some notes here, Al Feldstein he retired in 1984. Mm-hmm. So I, there I don't really have anything as far as like what he thought of the show, uh, but he retired in 1984 in Montana. Uh, fortunately, he passed away in 2014. Um, his work is now considered legendary mm-hmm. in the Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, comics that he worked on, and Mad Magazine. Uh, William Gaines died in 1992. And the rights to EC went to his daughter, Wendy Gaines Bushy. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If she re- if she no hears idea. this, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're that basically concludes kind of the history because we really want to go right off to the right. very first episode. So it's going to be. It's I think it's a bit confusing because they. Yeah, maybe this might be a conversation that should be better for the ne- the next episode when we start actually covering each episode right. of the show. Um, but all through the house was the pilot, but it right. wasn't the first one to air. There were three that aired the night it premiered. And I think it was actually the second one that showed that night. Well, it is yeah. now the first episode was June 10th, 1989. Mm-hmm. And it, they had a, a triple header. Mm-hmm. The first one was dig that cat. He's real gone. Okay. Which I'm pretty sure, um, and on the DVD set is like the fifth episode right. that they have. Mm-hmm. So, but these are all are, are done at the same day. So, And then the second one that they aired was All Through the House, which is the one Bill Gaines had input in. And then the third one was The Man Who Was Death. Mm-hmm. And The Man Who Was Death was actually is actually the first quote-unquote episode mm-hmm. uh, of the TV series on the DVD box set. Which will be the first episode that we, we cover. cover. Yeah, uh, I do want to. I, I, I think I have a theory that it was the first one listed. They may have switched it from the third episode to the first episode on the home releases, right? Because it was a story that was in the first issue of what would become Tales from the Crypt. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, ho- hopefully, with this episode, you can see through the history that it's truly an amazing story. Mm-hmm. This show should have never been made. Right. It sh- it was basically a fad in the early 50s that got stomped out by the government and some freaked out parents who didn't know how to teach and their it, children. It, these comics should not be remembered whatsoever. Right, right. but they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the revival of popularity of kind of horror mm-hmm. and specific, specifically, <laughs> words are hard, mm-hmm. specifically uh, 80s horror mm-hmm. that there's a special place for Tales from the Crypt because mm-hmm. it truly is amazing the entire work that they did and the comics, all the work they did in the comics, what they changed in the comic industry, what they tried to change. Mm-hmm. We got stomped out by the government and their competitors. Right. It's a pretty incredible story, but that is my notes for the history. Right. Hopefully you guys <laughs> enjoyed you. it. And 
We yeah. can't. I can't wait to start doing deep dives into all the episodes and comics of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, so I think that will be all we have for this episode. Uh, if you would like to leave a comment or a question for us, you can email the show at cryptkeepersshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Spooky Bruce. Uh, Ryan, where can we find you? I am on Twitter as Horror Ryan, H O R R O R Y A N. All right. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on the podcast service of your choice and uh, share it with a friend. Oh, wait, I just stumbled over you. Uh, <laughs> if you enjoy, if you enjoyed the show, please have a <laughs> train wreck right at the end. I love it. Jesus Christ. I love it. It's great. I cannot read. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on the podcast service of your choice. And share with a friend. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon, kitties.